So last week we began a series on, uh, now that's a powerful word. Last week we began a series on uh, the Old Testament book of Numbers. We're going to continue that today. Uh, and uh, the text is printed in the bulletin, uh, Numbers 1, uh, 5 through 54. We're actually only going to get through uh, verse 46 today. If you come to this church regularly, one of the things that you will note is uh, that I typically uh, read the scripture and uh, then pray and then uh, we, uh, we do the sermon. But today, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach the sermon first and then we're going to read the text. Uh, you have the text in front of you, so, so do that. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is... Um, as I warned you uh, last week, is uh, this this text is full of obscure names and uh, numbers, and so I need to give you so that I don't lose you to your phones or uh, to watching the cute kid in front of you or uh, any of the other things that I might lose you to this morning to your hunger or your fatigue. Um, I need to put this stuff in context for you so that you can tell what's going on and so you can glean some things from, from, from this text. Um, because here's, the, here's one of the things that, that we know, and this is one of the things that is so difficult for us to grapple with. So this text is a list of names and a list of numbers. Uh, and so you might think, okay, uh, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's God's word. We just heard that God's word is powerful. And what we recognize about this is, is that God has something for his people in this text. But not just that there's a lot of people with a lot of weird names, that that's what God has for us. What God has for us in this text is us to know him better. He includes this text in his scriptures uh, so that the people uh, who first received this, and even us today, would know him better and would understand him better and have a sense of his heart, his desire, and his plan for his people. So that's why, that's, uh, that, that, that's, that's why this is such uh, an important uh, uh, thing for us. So as we look at this text today, um, and... Uh, as I unpack it for you and then we read it, that's what you need, uh, that's what you need to look for. So, so what we recognize is God has brought his people out to, to the foot of Mount Sinai. They, um, uh, Moses uh, uh, received the law. They rebelled. They built the golden calf. And now they've been there for 11 months. And uh, they, it, it's time to do uh, this census. Now, the question is about the census is what identifies... Uh, a person or a group of people. What is it? What is it that marks them off? Well, um, and what is it that says, you know, I belong to this group of people. This group of people belongs to me, right? So that's that's the the question that we're asking. Because when you when you conduct a census, when you count, what you're doing is you're classifying people in a, a certain way. What are the boundaries around groups of people that define them, right? So, because when you count people and you arrive at, that's how many people we have, by, by definition, you're including all those people in your count, and everyone else that's not in the count, you're excluding them. You're drawing a boundary around, uh, around uh, uh, the people, right? So, one of the things that sociologists note is 
that there are typically two kinds of groups of, of people, right? And they're, they call them edge-bounded versus center-focused. Now, edge-bounded means that it's very clear you're either in or you're out, right? Uh, center-focused is, is a little less clear. Center-focused would be like membership in the American Kennel Club, right? Those people in the American Kennel Club join it because they like dogs, right? In fact, I was once a member of the American Kennel Club. Uh, I uh, raised beagles, uh, and, uh, and not for the purpose of cuteness. <laughs> uh, they were working dogs, and... Uh, um, actually, they were really the members of the American Kennel Club. I just paid their dues. But um, uh, the, 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 the fact is, all those people have a, an interest, and they're centered upon uh, dogs, right? But it's kind of hard to tell, you know, uh, the boundaries between that group and other groups. An edge-bounded group is very clearly defined, like a family. You're in the family, you get in the family by birth, you get in the family by adoption, and you get in the family by marriage. And you might not have any interest with anybody else in your family. You might not, you, and in fact, and it doesn't change the fact that you're in the family. Families have different interests. Family have different things that they like, but it doesn't matter. You're in the family. And the truth is, you, uh, uh, it, it's hard to get out of the family, right? You can fail, you can be uh, hard to get along with, you can be hard-headed, you can be difficult, those sorts of things. It doesn't change the fact that you're in the family, right? And, and, and just as I said, what defines your membership in the family is that you're in the family, not because you like the same things that everybody else in your family does. In fact, most families, there's a diversity of opinions about everything, right? So um, it is uh, one, one of the things that we laugh at in, in my family is that uh, one of the things that's true of Shelby's that when we get together, we talk and we talk about everything. We talk and talk and talk and talk. So much so that the first time Marty came to my house, she was like, this is too intense. You people are talking all the time. Turn the TV on. You know, I can't. Um, and my, my sister-in-law always complains that uh, we're, we talk about uh, religion and politics and that in polite company, you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics. And my dad always says to her, well, if we're not talking about religion and politics, what else is there to talk about? <laughs> Sports? Yeah, that might be the third category of what we talk about. So, so the fact is, what we're going to see in this text is a group of people who, as we'll see next week, they have a central focus, and that focus will actually be the center of their camp. It'll be the tabernacle. It'll be centered upon God. But in today's text, what we're going to see is these people are identified by family groups, by clans, by tribes, by, by who they are descended from, and as a result of, what, of, of, of who they belong to, right? So now the whole point of this count is so we count so that we can see who is in and who is out. 
and there can be no hiding. Now, there was no hiding in this text, in this uh, census, because they're all together out there in the wilderness, all living in their tents, right? Every every 10 years in America, we do a census. You know that, right? Uh, and some of you fill it out by it comes in the mail and you fill it out and you send it back in. And then sometimes the census taker comes to your house. Census takers go out. Uh, they'll be they'll be uh, downtown in Richmond under the railroad tracks down in uh, Chaco Bottom uh, doing a census on homeless people. They go out and hunt them, right? Because they're trying to get the most accurate count they they can. We, you know, uh, we're Americans. Uh, we typically don't like to be counted. And so there are many of you, I bet, that ignore the census because you don't want the government knowing that about you. You don't want them to know how many people are in your house or whatever your your particular thing might be. So, so the fact is, in this census, uh, because it's a census to prepare them to go into the, the, the promised land, Everybody matters. And so they want to know who, who, who is there. And they want to identify them, and they're going to identify them by their families, right? Now, one of the things that you have to see about this is, you know, we, we can kind of get bored about this, and we can kind of think, well, this is just a lot of numbers. Uh, this would only be appealing to CPAs. And... And to regular people, it's not, as if CPAs aren't, aren't regular people. But the fact is, God is interested in counting his people. He's interested in identifying his people. He's actually interested in having a boundary to say, this big mass of people right here, I know them all by name, and they're a big group, and they all belong to me. In fact, we, we will see God's final census in Revelation chapter 20. It tells us that he has a book and that book will be opened and the names of his people will be in that book signed by the blood of Jesus Christ who has redeemed them, who's made atonement for them and who's placed their names uh, uh, in that book. So God is interested in this. And this is, an, this is an important thing for us to see because this tells us a lot about our God that 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 he doesn't just ignore uh, his people or he doesn't just look at us as some kind of mass of humanity. He wants to number us. He wants to know who's in. He wants to know who's out. He understands what our identity is. Next slide, please, AJ. So, so what you're going to see in this text is that we have, we have a, a, a lot of names uh, and we have a, a lot of numbers. Now, one of the things that w- will happen here when I read the first list of names to you is that you could easily get lost in that. And part of the reason why you could get lost in that is these names sound really strange. They don't sound like Matt or Jim or Bob, right? Um, But these names tell us something. And one of the things that they tell us is they tell us about the Godward orientation of these people because... When we read the names and you see the letters E-L together, which will appear nine times in this list, that, that is the name for God. People included that in their names. Three times you'll see the name Shaddai, which means almighty. Um, we don't have any almighties on our nursery list here, right? The, I, not, we got some mighty ones, <laughs> no doubt about it, but we don't have any almighties in our, uh, in our nursery list. The word sure there is the word for rock, referring to uh, God as our rock. 
the, you'll notice the letters A-B, Ab, that is the word for father. And then A-H, when that's together, you'll notice that is the word for brother, right? And so, so these, these names that we're going to read here as we, as we go through them, they may just sound odd to us, but they are directing us towards a particular God, uh, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God who, who made his promise and who redeemed these people and who is going to see to it that they get to the promised land. And, and there are certain characteristics about this God that pop up and that, that are, uh, that we should see, uh, when we look, uh, at these names. Secondly, what we'll notice is that there's family genealogy. And so these names are arranged in certain orders. Now, there are going to be a couple of these censuses, a couple of these lists throughout this book. And there are some small, slight variations from time to time about the, the order of, of, uh, uh, of, of these names, of these tribes. And I think there's a variety of reasons, uh, none of which are super compelling to me about why that is, but that's, that's what's going to happen. So what we'll notice here in this list is there's a, a list of the representatives of the tribes and then the list of the tribes themselves. And the difference is the location of the tribe of, of Gad. But typically in the book of Numbers, uh, this group of people is identified and arranged in the camp uh, as the children of Jacob by their different mothers. Now, one of the things that, you know, I know you think your family's weird. I know you think your family has its quirks. Um, but I, this family is quite unusual. Remember, Jacob wanted to marry Rachel because she was beautiful. Rachel had a sister named Leah, who, depending on how you uh, interpret the Hebrew that describes her, either she had weak eyes or she was weak on the eyes. <laughs> she was not quite as attractive as Rachel. Leah was the older sister. Uh, and yet uh, uh, Laban tricked Jacob and Jacob who must have been super drunk at his wedding, did not realize who he was married to until the next day. This is your family. <laughs> and so he works even longer to get Rachel. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, we'll also notice that some of these tribes come from handmaidens. Rachel's handmaiden and Leah's handmaiden. Yeah. Your family. One big happy family. Right? Um, and so as we look at this, here's kind of the way here's here's kind of the way this is arranged at least here so the children of Leah uh uh at first in this text are Reuben Simeon Judah Issachar and Zebulun uh notice that uh though Leah was the unfavored wife uh, God was good to her and she was fruitful she had many sons and then there's the children of Rachel uh, which actually, uh, uh, they're listed as Ephraim and Manasseh. Those were Joseph's sons, uh, uh, and Benjamin. 
And then there's the child of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaiden, Dan, the children of Zilpah, Leah's handmaiden, uh, uh, Asher and Gad, and then the child of Bilhah, Naphtali. So what you see here is uh, a, a pretty interesting group of people and a pretty interesting kind of uh, setup about where these people come from, what their particular relationships with one another were like, uh, and, and, and that. And so the very fact that they are organized around this way and organized by these names and by these tribes reminds them of where they come from and reminds them of what their identity is and reminds them of their fathers and their grandfathers and reminds them of their mothers and their grandmothers so that they have a sense of, you know, the, the fact is God has been at work in this group of people for a lot of years. And he has brought us to this point. And because he has brought us to this point, we trust him to bring us the rest of the way to the promised land. Next slide, please, um, uh, AJ. So, so why would God give us all these names and all these numbers? Why didn't he just say, hey, you know, I brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and I brought them to Mount Sinai. They sinned. We waited 11 months and then we got our act together and we headed to the promised land. And it was a lot of us. Well, there, there's something that's, that's important to do. Does God need this so he can tell who's in or who's out? Well, God, God already knows who's in. God already knows who's out. He knows these people. He has known them from time uh, in, in eternity. So, so it, this, this, the purpose of this is not so much for him, but for us to know him better and to know one another better, Right? Because one of the things that you have to see about the gospel, about the work of Jesus Christ, about the way God works is he works with particular people in particular places at particular times. And so so this is not just some kind of amorphous group of people that's out here. These people had names, they had histories, they had families. And so the point of the census is to identify those people. The point of the census is to say, just like when someone comes, there, there is no, let me, let me be direct about this. One of the things that's hard about this for us is uh, if, if you are counted as in or out, you belong to the people of God. You are accountable to other people. You are accountable to those people who are your leaders and who are your fellow uh, uh, participants in, in the work of the people of God. What we like to do and what our preference is uh, in America is to say, I am a follower of Jesus and in no way am I connected to any particular group of people. I like to float in and out. I like to, to follow Jesus in my own way and not have any sense of commitment. Because the fact is, if you're committed to a particular group of people, then what happens is you find out that they're sinners, and you find out that they're disappointing and you find out that they have weird stories and you find out that that you you might have some things that you disagree with them about and that sort of thing. So we just rather kind of say we follow Jesus, but we don't connect with Jesus's people in any one particular place or time. Well, God doesn't really see that happening here. His people are identified as his people. They belong to him and they belong to one another. Secondly, God made promises to these people. He promised Abraham all the way back in Genesis that one day his descendants would be super, super numerous. 
And so we remember that it was just a handful of people, a very small few hundred, that went down into Egypt when Jacob took his family down there. And now here they are almost a year later after coming out of, out of Egypt. And we'll see it's over 600,000. God said that he would prosper them and give them lots of descendants. He's done that. There are lots of them, plenty of them. And, and, the, and, and it is, it's a pretty dramatic thing for us to see, right? Uh, secondly, none of the tribes has been left out. Now, we'll talk about Levi next week as they are around uh, the temple, but that's one of the things that you have to see. God doesn't leave people out. I think, I think all of us have a fear of being left out, right? Uh, all of us have a fear of somehow or other not... Uh, uh, not, not, not being noticed or not being chosen or not belonging. Well, God makes it clear to us when you belong to him, he will not leave you out. He will never forget you. He will never uh, uh, have to be reminded that you belong to him. That's never, ever going to happen, right? So none of the tribes has been left out. Even in the wilderness, the Lord sees and counts his people. Now, one of the things that you, you need to understand about this is a, uh, when, when Moses wrote this and these people read this, you know what they thought? They thought, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, why would that be? Well, um, when every shepherd on this planet today, right now, in whatever country they are in, you could go to them and say, How many sheep do you have? And they can tell you. What are their names? They can tell you. Point out the cranky ones. They can do it. Point out the good ones, the producers. They can do it. Point out the difficult ones. They can do it. In this mass of over 600,000 people, this God knows every one of those people individually and by name, right? Um, so even in the wilderness, the Lord sees and counts his people. Now, it's not 600,000 or 603,000, but 603,550. Now, why is, why is that important? Well, uh, school's starting, right? It's just a matter of time. Some kids will be going back. Some of the private schools start back tomorrow, uh, Public schools uh, in Virginia, uh, or at least in uh, the greater Richmond area, start uh, the Tuesday after Labor Day. People, classes have roles, right? And there's a reason for that. My wife has 18 first graders this year, 18. So she takes them to lunch. And when she gets back to her room, if they're 17, it's a problem. Now, it may be a problem for a couple of reasons because depending on who the one is that's missing, they could be in the fetal position, crawled up in a corner somewhere feeling left out, and that's bad. That's sad. Or they could be running into the bathroom where they hit a lighter and are running out now to set the school on fire. That, too, is a problem. Right? 
So, so the reality is that what, what happens here is, is that to be counted and to be acknowledged puts us in the place where we are most easily cared for and provided for uh, by our, our, our God, right? So now one of the things that we're going to note about this is that in Numbers 26, another census is taken, and that number is going to be 601,730. Now, something to note about this, that's going to happen some 40 years later. There are two people that are in the census in Numbers 1 that will be in the last one. Think about that. Do the math about how many funerals they had to do day in and day out. Right? Um, A lot of these people, all but two, won't make it to the promised land. They will fail. There's a warning to us in that, and the warning to us in that is that there are consequences to our sin. We always think that we can handle the consequences to our sin or that somehow or other we will escape them, but this generation did not escape it. But there's something else, and that's that even though these people failed to make it to the promised land, God wants us to remember them. And he records their names for us so that we will know. You see, the the fact of the matter is every one of us is a failure. If left to your own devices, you will not get to the promised land. You won't. Uh, I, uh, one of the things that I had the privilege to do a memorial service yesterday. And one of the things that I got to remind people of, and this is a good word for us is there is no self improvement guide that you can get on. That's going to get you there. Okay. It just didn't. I wish, I wish I could say buy my book and it will get to heaven. Right. But the fact is, what we recognize is, is that we have a tribal head, a head of our clan, a head of us, who paid the penalty for our sin so that we could be counted and taken in to the census. And so we belong to him. And the day will come where he will be honored and he will be glorified by the work he has done as your name is read. And as he acknowledges you and says, that one belongs to me, that one's in the people of God, he's a part of what I have done. And so as we look at this and as we think about this, I want you to understand that what is happening here is that these people uh, are just a big mess and they're God's people. They belong to him. And even their own rebellion and their own sin and their own disobedience And even the consequences of that will not keep him from accomplishing his purpose. So let me read to you the scripture from uh, Numbers chapter 1, verses 5 through 46. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And these are the names of the men who shall assist you. From Reuben, Eliezer, the son of Shadur, 
from Simeon, Shalumiel, son of Zerushadai, from Judah, Nashan, the son of Amenadab, from Issachar, Nathaniel, son of Zuar, from Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon, from the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, the son of Amahud, and from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Pedajur, from Benjamin, Abaddon, the son of Gideonai, from Dan, Ahizer, the son of Am- Amishadai, from Asher, Pajil, the son of Akron, from, G- from Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, from Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enon. These were the ones chosen from the congregation, the chiefs of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the clans of Israel. Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named, and on the first day of the second month, they assembled the whole congregation together, who registered themselves by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, head by head, as the Lord commanded Moses. So he listed them in the wilderness of Sinai. The people of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Reuben, were 46,500. Now, perhaps, I don't know where you fit in the birth order of your family, but it probably rubbed you the wrong way if you're not firstborn, that the first one, the one that always gets listed first is the firstborn. You know, maybe, isn't that funny? But Reuben, the firstborn. Reuben wasn't a great guy, by the way, but he was first. Isn't it funny how that works? Uh, I also wonder, as we look through these numbers, was there a competition between who had the bigger uh, clan and whose clan was better? I'm sure there was, um, because these are people. Uh, of, the, of the people of Simeon, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, those of them who were listed according to the number of names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. Of the people of Gad, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of the names from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war, these listed, those listed of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. Of the people of Judah, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. Of the people of Issachar, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400. Of the people of Zebulun, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Zebulun were 57,400. Of the people of Joseph, namely, of the people of Ephraim, their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Ephraim were 40,500. Of the people of Manasseh, their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200. Of the people of Benjamin, their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, 
Those listed of the tribe of Benjamin were 35,400. Of the people of Dan, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Dan were 62,700. Of the people of Asher, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Asher were 41,500. Of the people of Naphtali, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Naphtali were 53,400. These are those who were listed, whom Moses and Aaron listed with the help of the chiefs of Israel, 12 men each representing his father's house. So all those listed of the people of Israel by their father's houses, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war in Israel, all those listed were 603,550. Join me in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that you reveal to us that uh, you care about particular people and that you care that your people be identified in a particular place and time. We thank you that uh, our disobedience and our failures um, as your people do not keep you from achieving your purpose, that you have set about to redeem a people called by your name, belonging to you. And we look forward, Lord, to that day where your census will be read uh, before all. And uh, the joy of hearing our name included among your people. And so, Lord, help us, encourage our hearts, help us to see your purpose and your promise. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you uh, even in our wilderness. Lord, we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So the guys uh, come down to take up the offering. Let me remind you to drop your tear off in the plate. Please don't feel pressure to give. Only give today if it's a part of your worship in response to God's goodness and grace. Amen.